Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello, new listeners, wherever you may be. Um, Welcome to episode 10 of my weekly film podcast, I Bitch About Films. It's good to have, um, you know, many of you with me, listening, new listeners, welcome, welcome, continuing listeners. It's great to see you again. I am podcasting to you guys all the way from America. So um, if you are on the other side of the world or, or, or if you're in America, hello. So I'm super excited today to bring another film um, to all of my listeners. And the film that I will be discussing today, although not in great detail because it was a pretty long film, but just maybe bits and pieces of it. It's called Kratoa. Um, and Kratoa is, the film was about um, a young girl of the Khoi tribe in Western Cape, South Africa, who was, um, given to the Dutch governor at that time to serve as a maid in his household to himself and his wife. Well, and, and given is probably not the right word to use. Uh, because there has been some dispute on how Kratoa came to work for the for the Dutch governor, um, Jan van Riebeek. So, um, for the sake of the film, let's let's go with she was given because in the film she was she was she was given to the the Dutch governor and to work as a maid for his his wife, and. Um, they gave her a new name, a Dutch name, Eva. Um, but her tribal name was, was uh, Kratoa. So so let's sort of move into um, the film. So Kratoa was born in 1643. Um, and she was a member of the Khoi tribe. Um, or the Strandlopers people. Um, in what was present day Cape Town or at that time, the Western Cape in South Africa. And she was in the care of her uncle, who was a co-leader and he was a trader. So he was trading with the Dutch colonialists who arrived in um, the Western Cape in the 16th century. So the film opens up with a young Kratoa. Um probably between the ages of 11 or 12. Um, and she was taken to work in the household at that time of the Dutch governor, um, Jan van Riebeek by her uncle. Um, and Jan van Riebeek was the first governor of the Cape colony. And she she lived with them for quite for quite some time. I mean, you know, she you know, she um learned French while she was um under their care. She learned Dutch, she learned Portuguese. Um 
And at this particular time, the Dutch was increasingly encroaching on the land of the indigenous tribes or indigenous peoples who who um, were first um, in the Cape. And there was often friction between the Dutch and between the um, the indigenous people. And the governor at that particular time, along with Krotoa's uncle, thought it would be a good idea to have an interpreter. Um, someone who could speak and understand Dutch as well as the indigenous language of the of the um of the Khoi tribe. And that turned out to be Krotoa or Eva. Um so um um, a young Kratoa, you know, when she reached her teenage years, you know, like her uncle, she worked as an interpreter or and an intermediary um, for the Dutch who wanted to trade good for cattle. Um, and um, in exchange, when she would visit her family, you know, her, her Dutch masters expected her to return, like with cattle, horses, seed, pearls, amber, tusks, and hides. So they in turn, the koi in turn would receive goods such as tobacco, brandy, bread, beads, copper, and iron, you know. And then she she would, when she would visit her family, they expected her to return with with the other half, with the cattle, the horses, and so forth. Um... Kurtoa was able to, at some point, obtain a higher position within the Dutch hierarchy um, because she additionally served as a trading agent and ambassador for a high-ranking chief and a peace negotiator in time of war. So her story exemplifies like the initial dependency of the Dutch newcomers on the indigenous people who were able to provide reasonably reliable information about the local inhabitants. So in the film, um, Kratoa was the, the, I would say the head maid for the, the Van, Jan Van Riebeek's wife. And it was his wife who, um, wanted to make her more Dutch. I mean, those were the words that she used in the film. So she taught her Dutch, she learned French, she learned Portuguese. And as Kratoa began to grow, to, to, to get older, she grew into a, a beautiful young woman and she began to catch the attention of her husband, um, the, govern, the, the governor. Um, and Kratoa knew that was forbidden. I mean, she was weary of of him, although she never suspected, or maybe she was a bit naive, I, I believe, but she was already given to a koi male in her tribe as a bride, you know, from from birth, I believe. So she had no interest in the Dutch in the Dutch governor, but he had interest in her. Um, there was a scene in the film where he told her he needed her help 
with some French in in um um some French ambassadors who would be arriving on the Cape to discuss trade. And he didn't speak the language, but Kratoa did because her wife, because she learned French. And he told her she would have to get dressed up and that she would have to sit at the dinner table with everyone. And she did. Um, and she spoke perfect, perfect French. But the young French colonel, um, he had he also had his eye on her at the same time and it made her really uncomfortable so at some point she left the dinner i guess you know once her um translation services were no longer necessary she left the dinner table and she went back into the cabin like where she was staying um it wasn't, she wasn't living in the main house with the mistress, but she had her own separate quarters. So, um, at some point, you know, Kratoa kind of fulfilled that, um, I wouldn't say a promise or oath, but, you know, she was supposed to be returned to her tribe when she came of age. But by then, the Dutch governor, um, Jan van Riebeek, did not want to let her go. For some unexplained reason, um, he wanted her to remain with him. Like, he did not want her to go back to her tribe. Um, there are some historical records um, that which, which discusses his... Um, in in his private journals, he wrote a lot about her, which led to speculation that um, at some point this this Dutch governor fell in love with her, or or who knows, um, you know, you know, they were alluding to that. If you if you do a little bit more research um, into um, his writings, there were a lot of stuff about her, so. You know, there was a reason why he didn't really want her to go back to her tribe. And that was one of the reasons. It was because he, he, he said he needed her. And, but to be quite honest, he, he no longer needed her services. She was already an adult woman who should have already been married off to um, a member in her tribe. But, you know, she stayed on and she continued to to serve at his will. She continued to serve as his translator. She continued to serve as an intermediary between her people and the Dutch. There was um, a little bit of trouble um, at some point in the film where um, the Dutch cattle... Um, um, the Dutch cattle were stolen by members of the Khoi tribe, and it was only because the Dutch kept constantly taking more and more land. And the Khoi tribe, tribal members were unable to take their own um, cattle to graze because the Dutch began to increasingly use up so much land. So Angered by that, they would take, would steal their cattle. 
Um, and that caused a lot of trouble between um, her people and the Dutch. And he often had to rely on Krotoa as an intermediary. Um, and she would bring two sides together and then she would, you know, negotiate a peace between the Dutch and her people. And, you know, she was, you know, surprisingly good at it. And um, the governor, Jan Van Riebeek, began to rely on her more and more. Um, at some point in the film, um, she... Kratoa wanted to go back home to her her tribe and the and she told the governor it was time that you know you let me go I've been here for a very long time and I think I've really um fulfilled everything that my uncle said that I would that I would have to do for for the Dutch so it's time to let me go and he didn't really want to let her go um he had become increasingly possessive over her. There was a a point in the film where the French official that was basically um, eyeing her and 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 maybe almost catcalling her tried to attack her when she was on the beach alone, and the governor rescued her. Um, he practically beat the man up and told him he. He, he could never come back to the Cape. So he left and um, he took Krotoa back to her quarters. But there was a, a scene in the film. I mean, she was really ready to, to go back to her tribe because she missed her her family and she missed her betrothed. Um, the, 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 um, um, the, tribal member that she was supposed to marry i i his name just i like i totally cannot pronounce it but she was betrothed to him and she missed him um and he was growing increasingly unhappy with her at um still in the duchess care because he was he was saying she had started to change and she was no longer the Kratoa that he grew up with she she seemed to be losing a lot of her connections and cultural um, attachments to her own tribe. It was becoming more and more Dutch. So she wanted to go back to him so they could get married. And at one point, the, the Dutch governor said, no, you're not leaving. I think he, he kissed her. And then she pushed him away and he he practically raped her so she's raped by him and then she becomes pregnant at some point and by that time he tries to return her to her tribe and and to her uncle and once they learn what happened I mean he does he does not tell them I raped her he blames it on the French official that he um chased off of the out of the out of the Cape Colony and that was not true. He was the father and she went back to her tribe but they didn't accept her. 
I mean, she was looked at upon as a disgrace. Um, he took something precious from her that she was supposed to give to her husband on their wedding night. And that, and at the same time, he created a bastard child. Um, and he no longer wanted anything to do with her either because she couldn't stay there. His wife would find out, um, and it would be like a, a disaster. Anyway, she, she was expelled from her tribe. Her uncle wanted nothing to do with her. The guy that she was supposed to bury, he definitely didn't want anything to do with her. And they, she had, she was banished and she had to go and live with a sister who lived, um, um, a little bit, you know, some, you know, far away. She wasn't exactly, um, living in, um, the settlement, I mean, the, the, um, the, the area where her, where the Koi people lived. I mean, her sister had got married and, and moved away. So she had to, you know, go and live with her. And while en route to, to stay with her, her sister, she had a, suffered a miscarriage. And the Dutch doctor who was with her tended to her care, um, helped her you know, during the difficult process when she was losing her baby. And gradually this particular doctor began to love her and she began to love this doctor as well. Um, ultimately, she reunited with her sister and her sister noticed something was happening between her and this Dutch doctor um, and basically and kind of encouraged her to follow her heart because at this at that point you have to realize the man that she was supposed to marry since birth no longer wanted her since she since he said she was tainted um and her uncle didn't really want her because basically he saw her as a disgrace and that she was becoming more and more Dutch. But it was his fault because he gave her to the Dutch when she was a little girl. And basically that's what she told him in, at some point in the film. She was angry and she was like, you can't blame me for how I am now. Because it was you who gave me to the Dutch. You can't blame me for being raped because I did nothing to bring the rape upon me. And she didn't, you know, the, the governor was, you know, he had an extreme fondness for her that eventually turned into an obsession of some sort of possession. So when she lost the baby, her and the doctor went back to the Dutch settlement, you know, where she was staying. There was no other place for her to go. She couldn't go back to her tribe. She couldn't go back to her tribe. Excuse me, guys, but somehow my recording device keeps shutting off. Um, so you'll probably hear a brief pause. Um, also, you'll probably hear notifications, and that's just how it is um, until I figure this thing out. So just rock with me for a few. Um, they went back to the Dutch settlement, Kratoa and the doctor, um, because she miscarried and um, there was another place for her to go. You know, her uncle, I mean, she was just basically an outcast. 
And she arrived at the Dutch settlement and she told the governor, Jan Van Riebeek, that she was no longer pregnant. She had a miscarriage and, you know, um, he did sympathize with her and he, and at some point during a conversation between the both of them, he became extremely affectionate towards her you know, touching her face and hugging her and his wife walked in. The wife had always suspected something was really odd at some point, but she never really accused him of anything. But um, his fondness for her never really went away. Although he accepted the fact that she was off limits to him and he had also noticed that she began to grow to love this doctor and... He had trouble with it, but there was nothing that he could do. I mean, you know, basically, she really didn't want him touching her. I mean, he raped her. So she continued her duties as a translator, a negotiator. But but the peace between her people and the Dutch colonialists just got worse over time. Um... Two members of her tribe were killed. Two members of her tribe were, were were shot and killed by one of the Dutch colonialists for stealing um, their cattle. And um, at some point, she no longer had the had faith in the governor. Um, and no longer trusted his word when it came down to, to, you know, negotiating peace and treaty talk with her people. It's just, you know, the ensuing violence on, on both sides just made it, made it difficult. So she began to have an affair with the Dutch doctor. Um, and they had a, had a baby, actually had two children together out of wedlock, and the Dutch looked down on that. And when when um, Jan Van Riebeek, um, it was time for him to go back to to Holland, to the Netherlands. And he had to give up the governorship they were bringing in someone else because they felt he was too soft that he couldn't control the natives. They was bringing in someone a little bit more rigid who could who would restore law and order. And once he left, she was no longer treated well. Um, this new governor and his, I guess it was his lieutenant who served underneath him, basically looked down on them and thought of them as savages. They didn't really care about Kratoa or, or really wanted her or needed her translation skills. So they... They told her, like, you know, you have to get married to the Dutch doctor because you guys are living in sin and you have too many illegitimate children. So they forced them to get married. They forced her to have a Christian marriage and she wasn't a Christian. So that was a difficult one for her. And once she married him, she definitely would no longer be accepted in her tribe. They got married. And they were happy, but 
you know, things began to fall apart. I mean, they were banished from the, the Cape, from Cape Colony and sent to Robben Island in South Africa to live. He was made, her husband, the Dutch doctor was made, um, the, the governor, I, I believe it's like a position of a governor of Robben Island, which was, we know, a notorious prison. It's famous in South Africa. And she wasn't really happy about it because she wanted to continue serving as an intermediary between the Dutch and her people. But it it wasn't going to happen because they had no use for her. And they, in the film, he, the lieutenant under the new governor was like, we don't negotiate with savages. And so Kratoa and... Her husband um, lived, may lived, you know, lived on Robin Island for a while. But at that point, um, she started to drink, um, and they. The the Dutch doctor that she married, his name was um. Forgive me for not saying his name. I, I'm sorry, Peter Van Meerhoff, I believe. Um, I think that was his name. Um, and they had um three children actually. Um, and but Peter Van Meerhoff became the new governor. Um of I guess of Robin Island and he was he was in he was in charge of the prisoners and I think she started drinking because at that particular time they started imprisoning more and more Koi tribe members people from her her tribe and she witnessed it so it was hard for her watching them bring them in chains to the to the to Robin Island and lock them away and at one point her uncle was brought to Robin Island, the same uncle that raised her from a child. And I think that broke her spirit. And her husband, Peter um, um, Van Meerhoff, could not do anything about it. I mean, it was beyond his control. That was his job. And um it was it was a difficult thing for her to accept. So she started drinking a lot and it started to affect their marriage. They fought a lot. She would, you know, he would find her drunk. I mean, she had three children. Um at one point she she left the um she left Robin Island and she tried to go back to to her family in the crawls. But that didn't work out. Um, she was imprisoned for unjustly or, or or for immoral behavior, and then she was banished again to Robin Island. I, I guess un, immoral behavior was she was drinking heavily. At some point, Peter Van Meerhoff, her husband, got an assignment to go to Madagascar. And he he told the, the children's nanny to basically take care of the children while I'm away. I'll be back in a few months. And 
he never came back because he was killed. Um, he was killed on Madagascar, and in the film they they um, returned his property to her, and you know she was like distraught. And then eventually they took her children from her because they said she was a bad mother, and they took her kids to Mauritius. So she she was stripped of everything. She had no connections to her tribe. Um her husband was dead. Um her children were taken from her. Um the family life was gone and she began to drink. And then at some point she realized that the well I don't know if she realized it but but at but this particular point but the whole issue of miscegenation at that particular time um created a situation where um she had a loss of control of who she was her life her children and the cultural connections lost to her tribe. So, um, some historical information that's at the end of the film. It says her two children um, from her marriage, from from Peter Van Meerhoff. You know, they were taken to Mauritius in 1677. And... Um, they eventually went on and they got married to um the daughter got married to a vegetable farmer they had four sons and four daughters but they but the the whole thing about the, the her legacy was that some famous south africans can trace their ancestry back to Krotoa and or slash Eva once she began to have children with this Dutch um with Peter Van Meerhoff. Um some some very famous actually Dutch white South Africans can trace their ancestry back to her. Um one thing, you know, um she ultimately died at a very young age. I think it says she was 36 of alcoholism on Robin Island. We know Robin Island was a very famous prison. That's where Nelson Mandela spent of, of the, the pivotal years of his life locked away. Um, after her death, Kratoa's story would not be um, deeply explored for nearly two and a half centuries. Instead, the attention was mostly put on white European women who came to South Africa on missionary expeditions. It was not until after the 1920s that her story became a part of South African history. So, at the end of the film, I'm just going to close with this. At the end of the film, um, Kratoa basically enters the home of all of the Dutch officials 
um, having dinner, not dressed as Eva in a gorgeous gown or dressed as a European woman. She showed up in her tribal wear of the Khoi people. Everything that they stripped away from her, she had to fight to get it back. And she showed up at that dinner and she told them that she was drunk. She said, my name is not Eva. My name is Klothoa. And the film ends with her on Robin Island. Basically, you know, she seemed to have lost her mind at that point. But the, the film was good. Um, I had never heard of her before or her story. And I'm glad I came across it. Someone had recommended that film to me. It showed up in one of my kegs for review. And it was interesting that history chose to keep her voice silent for a very long time. And so the film was released finally in 2017. And I'm glad I came across it because I really, really enjoyed it. It was tragic, you know, and it's those sort of situations always end in tragedy for people of color, particularly women in the 16th, 15th century. Whenever we came in contact with European colonialists, it never ended well. But her story is a lesson. And like all lessons, we all have to learn. So if you're hunting for a good film... Um, with some historical facts and historical relevance, I would recommend Kurtoa. Um, it was released in 2017. Um, you should be able to find it, you know, anywhere, stream it, Netflix or, or, um, or on some other streaming service, but you know, it's, um, It was, it's really, really, really good. Um, and I definitely <sighs> recommend it. And I'm going to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening. Again, I'm getting ready to close out this segment. The next film that I think I'm going to discuss may be Sobibor. That's a heavy, heavy, heavy film. And it takes so much out of me to discuss it because it's another Holocaust film. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth with myself, you know, if I want to discuss it, but you know, um, we'll see once again, thank you guys for listening to my podcast. I bitch about films where everything is 100% film talk and more. Ciao.